Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenore Walters and joining me today is Colin Lowe, Managing Director of Kingsfleet Wealth. Last month, investors welcomed the news that Woodford Patient Capital Trust will transfer its management to Schroders by the end of the year and its share price jumped. But this week, the Trust disclosed another write-down on one of its unquoted holdings, Industrial Heat, taking its share price back down. Colin, at the moment, it seems like it's one step forward, two steps back for Woodford Patient Capital Trusts. Do its new managers at Schroders have any chance of being able to iron out these problems? <laughs> well, uh, good morning. I think the, the issue uh, with this is that the, the clue is in the title of the, the fund, uh, patient. <laughs> and I think we're probably all having to be a bit patient at the moment, aren't we? Yeah. Um, uh, so I think we'll just have to see. At the moment, we don't know who actually the managers are going to be. We know it's going to be Schroders, but until we know who it could be. I think patience is the key word. Okay. Now, the share price um, improved after the appointment of Schroeder's. And despite this week's glitch, um, I guess it could improve again if things go well. So if it moves up a bit again at that point, should existing investors jump and bag profits before there's another possible downward lurch? Or like you say, shall they be patient and wait for further possible appreciation? Okay, so I think this is where investors need to just take a step back and say, actually, is this going to form part of their strategic long-term investment holdings? Now, they may need more information before they can make that decision, but they really need to decide, is this something they're going to hold or is this something that they're going to let go of? If it's something they want to let go of, then you're right. Any improvement in the share price may be the opportunity uh, to sell out. If, however, it's a long-term hold, then these small short-term fluctuations for good or for ill are things that you've just got to ride out. Now, thinking about people who maybe don't currently own it, but perhaps are, are more daring, they might be tempted to buy shares in Woodford Patient Capital Trust in the hope that uh, over coming years performance will improve and the discount will narrow. Would doing that be a shrewd move, a cheap entry point, or would it be a crazy high-risk gamble? Yeah. Oh, um, this is one of those things. Can we answer this in five years' time? Would you mind <laughs> if we come back to this? Yeah. Um, I, again, this is just something that I think it's something that people may want to keep on the radar, but it might just be a little bit too early to tell that. Again, my um, way of looking at investments is really to look at the consistency of the fund management not are they good or bad but you know how consistent are they and at the moment we just don't know who's actually going to be having the hands on the levers if you like mm. um, I think maybe when we know that we can look at the consistency of their investment performance in the past and if so that might be a great opportunity it, it could also be something that if we just don't have enough evidence I would be suggesting there may be some other opportunities out there that people might want to look at. Okay. I mean, I mean, on that note, um, Woodford Patient Capital Trust is a private equity fund. Um, so if you have a high risk appetite um, and are looking to have a small allocation within your large diversified portfolio to private equity, what could be better options? Well, I think we probably just need to be absolutely clear at this point. When we're talking private equity, we're talking about something that can be very liquid. Mm. It can be quite hard to sell or buy assets within those particular funds. So let's just make that really clear that this is increasing risk from your normal UK equity. Mm. So the two funds that I would probably just suggest are on our radar. So one is the Standard Life Private Equity um, trust, um, really big organisation, obviously with Standard Life behind them, lots of research. And another one that's just um, really well known is HG Capital. 
Now, they've got sort of both got very consistent NAV net asset value returns year after year. The interesting thing is that the HG Capital One has a very, very small discount and the standard life one is over 20% at the time of um, discussing this. So you could say that one of them may have some of the uh, gain built in and the other one may be still yet to come, but they're both very consistent in terms of NAV returns over time. Okay. Now, you highlighted... um obviously consistency, but what other features and key attributes should you check before committing your money to a private equity fund? Mm. So again, I think the first thing is, again, I just want to be really clear on this, that this is something, patient capital is really the key word, or words, sorry, in this, because this is something that you need to be thinking of investing for some time. But if you're going to look back and see how that particular fund manager has performed, again, I think there are just three things to misquote Tony Blair, consistency, consistency and consistency uh, to look for, really. Um, we use um, discrete uh, returns. So in other words, we break down returns into individual 12-month periods. And that way, we tend to eliminate luck, just having one really good um, outcome, and skill, which is about consistency. Now, that's the thing that we use. Other people might use other arrangements as well. But focus when you're looking at particularly, obviously, as we often talk here about investment trusts and the benefits of those, focus on NAV rather than share price, because the NAV will tell you what's going on underneath and what the underlying holdings are delivering rather than the flow of funds in or out of the actual investment itself. Okay. You mentioned, um, obviously, looking at record, in particular, manager record, which I suppose we can't really yet do um, with Woodford Patient Capital Trust. That said, is there an argument in favour of buying a fund that's done badly, but recently changed manager and maybe possibly could have better prospects and getting in like early, because it might be a cheap entry point, because once you know about the manager, perhaps that discounts come in and the share price has risen. There is some argument for that. Again, my point would be don't skimp on the research for where your money is going, though. Don't hold up and just say, oh, it's a great opportunity. And um, just because it's down, it must therefore Mm. go up. Um, You cannot make that assumption. It really, really does depend on who has their hands on the levers, who's at the steering wheel, because that ultimately it's their skill, their team skill, their ability, their research capacity that will drive the potential returns of that investment. So look into that when there's a name. Let's look at what they do. Let's look at how well they've done in the past. Let's look at what experience and expertise they bring. And if all those things add up, it may be talking generically, that that type of arrangement is a good opportunity. It may also be something where you just think, actually, why take that risk? Mm. Why not go with something that has a more solid, consistent level? Um, And again, just be mindful if that is something you could be, the terminology is falling, uh, catching a falling knife. Just be very, very careful with that. It may look like a great opportunity, but sometimes you could end up just be putting good money after bad. Another issue with Woodford Patient Capital Trust is that it's stopped disclosing what percentage of its assets its 10 largest holdings account for. How important is it that a fund discloses such details? Normally, I'd say it's really important. Uh, Normally, I'd say it just gives you a feel for what a fund is like. Mm. But of course, it is just telling you the largest stocks Mm. or the largest underlying holdings. So it's a pointer, but it doesn't tell the whole story. 
And of course, actually, one of the main stories with the whole Woodford scenario is the fact that the largest holdings haven't been the problem. Mm. It's the smaller holdings that actually cause the issue. And it's the less liquid holdings that cause the issue. So in this instance, actually, I think it's just a bit of honesty um, mm. here because those will be changed, won't they? As, you know, yeah. uh, underlying holdings are, are sold and new ones are bought, that turnover is likely to be quite rapid over the next few months. So if they were to publish something, the likelihood is it would be out of date very rapidly. So I suspect they just don't want to um, misinform anybody. And I think actually all, all credit to them for, for making that decision. Mm. I mean, just more broadly with, you know, uh, never mind the Woodford Fund, let's say, let's go back to kind of normal funds, normal mm-hmm. situations. Um, you know, is it important that they disclose the top 10 holdings and the, the percentage they account for? And do you think that if a fund didn't do this, and obviously there's not many, but there's a few out there perhaps mm-hmm. that don't, would it be a reason to rule out investing in them? I would certainly say there has to be a very good reason why you would want to ignore that particular disclosure or lack of disclosure. Mm. So it'd have to be a very compelling argument to want to invest with a manager who isn't telling you what's going on within the fund. Um, So why take that risk? Broadly speaking, though, I would again just point out that all it's doing is telling you your top 10 holdings. It isn't telling you where the tail is. Mm. And again, one of the big issues we are having right now is about this issue of knowing what's going on under the box. Yeah. And the big holdings are often the liquid ones. Mm. Where there could be concerns is what's going on further down the line. Does that kind of attract you? Because there are a few funds out there that actually disclose the whole portfolio. Um, Probably not that many, but it does happen. Um, Are you drawn to those? I think um, transparency, Mm. everything to do with investments is really good. Um, mm. the, the problem is, of course, these managers, let's face it, we are paying them to make good decisions. Mm. So they have the opportunity, if they need to, to sell something and buy something overnight. So they may feel slightly constrained or their compliance or the mm. marketing team may feel slightly constrained by that if they disclose everything. Um, but again, I think it's all to do with research. Don't skimp on that. Put the time in, put the effort, mm. try to understand where, not just where the good stories are, but where could the bad stories or were the bad news be hiding? Okay. Now, turning to another part of the Woodford Empire, or I should say former Woodford Empire, um, investors in LF Woodford Income Focus, the third fund launched by Woodford Investment Management, which is now also suspended from trading, should soon find out if it'll be run by a new manager, rolled into another fund or wound up. Now, if there's some sort of continuation via one of the first two options, should people stick with that one? It's a similar story. Again, I really want to just see how this is going to develop. Mm. It might be a little too soon to know. Of course, this is different in that it's not an investment trust. This is an OIC. So therefore, the pricing is different. The point there is, why are you still in it, I suppose, would be um, there is a, uh, the facility um, to move on, to do other things, to look at other investment managers who may have a focus in the UK. Um, so I would be just saying, make a decision. Um, make a decision. When, when, it's, is, when it's unsuspended, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. When, yeah, and, and know in advance what you want to do, because mm. when it becomes... Um, available to make that choice, there may be a bit of a hit to the valuation. So again, it might just be, is this where you want to stay put or is this somewhere that you want to move on from? Now, part of the reason why LF Woodford Equity Income Fund was suspended in June was because it couldn't sell holdings fast enough. 
in particular unquoted holdings to reimburse investors taking the money at the fund. This has highlighted the issue of liquidity, which we were talking about before. Uh, liquidity being how easy it is for a fund to buy and sell its holdings. And yesterday, fund research company Morningstar said it had downgraded the rating on the Invesco Income and High Income Funds due to liquidity concerns. And the reasons Morningstar cited included the fact that at the end of September, these funds, which are really large funds of billions of pounds under management, had more than 30% of their assets in small and micro-cap companies. Colin, do you think Morningstar's concerns are warranted? I think they're right to disclose their concerns because ultimately the purpose of having research companies is to do research. Mm. So if they stumble across something that they are concerned about, then I'm really pleased that they feel they can be frank and open about it and point out the issue and the concern that they have. I mean, these are huge funds, aren't they? I mean, mm. it's 2.8 billion as far as I can see, and one is about 6 billion. Yeah. yeah They're fair. massive. So the... Um, this 30%, we're talking a lot of money mm. in these. So, I mean, they may not be the concern that we've uh, been referring to as far as Woodford's concerned, but I think we are right to be advised by Morningstar that people should just be mindful of what's going on underneath. Mm. I suppose listed smaller companies, right, they're less easy to buy and sell than larger listed companies, especially for big funds like Invesco High Income. That said, they aren't as liquid as unquoted companies because ultimately you can sell them in the market for some sort of price. Um, so is the situation with Invesco Income and High Income really as bad as that with Ella Foodford Equity Income? You're quite right to point out that is different from private listed funds. You're absolutely right. And um, that um, private equity arrangements, these are listed. So just because they're small doesn't make them bad. <laughs> That's mm. really, really important. We understand that. Um, it's also fair to say that just because they're small doesn't mean to say that they can't be traded. So yes, you're quite right to point that out as well. I think probably Morningstar's point is just to be really transparent about mm. that. Perhaps our perception is that equity income funds are big UK um, blue chip yeah. companies. And underneath that, whilst the majority is, and often the large top 10 certainly are, the uh, tail could just be something that people aren't aware they're invested in. So if it just means uh, transparency and clarity and what people are holding, that's a good thing. But yes, it is different. It is a different story. That said, what I'll pick up on there is um, maybe in the case of most UK equity income funds, would it be fair to say that they do focus on these kind of larger companies? Perhaps it's not usual to, to have these micro caps Mark Barnett, the manager of his fund, is actually Neil Woodford protege, so perhaps he's doing a bit of Neil Woodford style. So would it be fair to project the situation going on at Invesco Income and High Income on the broad majority of UK equity income funds? It, they are different. Um, you're quite right. Traditionally, and this perhaps mm. is where we've ended up in, in this confusion, mm. is traditionally equity income funds have just been large cap, blue chip, high yielding, well-known companies within mm. those. And, and our concern that has arisen over the last year, really, is this barbell approach that seems to have worked its way into this sector where there is that at one end mm. and then the small capital growth yeah. aspect is yeah. coming from smaller companies or 
has been hoped to come from smaller companies. Unfortunately, the the um, Invesco Perpetual Funds have just had 18 months, two mm. years of really, really poor performance. And again, this is perhaps exposing that issue of when the tide's out, we can actually see what's going on underneath. OK. I mean, on that note... Um all right, they had bad performance and it's partly because of, um, you know, how they're positioned. Um, Invesco income and high income hold UK listed companies are exposed to the UK domestic economy. Um, now, these obviously aren't doing well at the moment, but if there is some sort of resolution to Brexit, uh, whether, you know, Brexit is stopped or there's a, at least a, you know, a, a, a Brexit of a deal, um, these companies could rally. So would there be an argument for positioning in funds that have these types of stocks with um, domestic exposure um, because there might be a rally mm-hmm. sometime in the not too distant future? Well, again, let's think about investing really is putting money away in a box mm. and getting it five years later. So is there value in something, at least five years later, <laughs> is there value in something that potentially could give us a really good return. And and really, the story here is about those that are um, sterling-focused investments. So Mm -hmm. in other words, those that aren't bringing in money from overseas, those that are really UK-based. And they've been, as we know, really badly hit Mm. the last few years. So yeah, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do to say, let's diversify our UK investments so that they're not all in FTSE 100 companies that are relying on overseas earnings, that there are UK focused within our holdings. That's really, really important. And I think um, that can be done specifically with a one individual fund or find a fund that is, we use the phrase multi-cap, yeah. spread across all sorts of different holdings, big, mid, medium, mid-cap and smaller as well. Okay. And um, what would your suggestions be, let's say, on a multi-cap fund or a fund, let's say, perhaps just more focused on these domestics? Yeah, so they're, they're, I'll just very mm. briefly mention three that mm. we, we've used for quite a while that address those things. So so one is uh, the um, GLG undervalued assets, man GLG undervalued assets run by Henry Dixon. Very long-term consistent mm. returns there. A very boring fund is Aviva Investors UK Equity Income. If you're looking for a UK Equity Income fund, Chris Murphy's been running that fund for a long time. And then another uh, fund that we've used, again, really consistent returns is Lion Trust UK Ethical. Um, again, the ethical is a sort of an added bonus from our perspective. Yep. It's not the, mm. fo- um, the the core thing is delivery of um, solid investment returns. And uh, that's been great. But again, those three are very much UK focused, very much multi-cap spread across different um, uh, investment strata. So yeah, we like the, the way in which those work at the moment, but obviously always keep an eye on what's happening at any one point in time. Okay. I mean, those are some really good suggestions to getting exposure to um, these um, domestic uh, shares that um, we've been discussing. That said, if you're already sitting in Invesco high income and Invesco income um, and supposedly getting exposure via those funds, what should you do? I mean, they obviously have exposure to this potential um, you know, rally, but at the same time, we've just been discussing potential problems and concerns with these funds. Mm. Should you ditch them and perhaps go into the funds that you suggested or some other funds? Or some I mean, other or, funds, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, I want to broaden that out. Yeah. Um, yeah I think I, I would be always asking not only about any investments that we that you or I or any other individual could move into. But I would always be asking myself, why am I in the fund that I'm in right now? Mm. And I would be asking that question about why people are still in Invesco income and high income at the moment. Um, 
as I said, the, the track record really over the last 18 months, two years, really has been consistently underperforming its sector. It's... It's actually, um, you know, worth looking at how it's comparing against UK oil companies as well as UK equity income. Mm. I think it's actually in all companies. Yeah, you know, because, because of a lower yield. Yeah, yeah, uh, because the which again mm. it never used to be, but it is now. So all these things are going on, and it's it's just really underperforming from that perspective. So I would just say, why are you still in it? If you really do feel that. Um, Mark Barnett can turn that around, then, yep, fine, fantastic. But there may be other funds that have been, again, more consistent in how they've performed over recent years that may just give you the opportunity of still staying in the UK and still benefiting from any potential turnaround that we see in sterling strength. Okay, thank you, Colin. Some really uh, helpful suggestions and things to think about there. That brings us to the end of today's show, but also have a look at this week's Investors Chronicle or the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for more on Woodford Patient Capital Trust, what is likely to happen to the other Woodford funds and funds for exposure to UK equities. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.